You're listening to a sermon from the Axis Church in downtown Nashville. For more information, please visit theaxischurch.org. Thank you all for leading us. Welcome this morning. My name is Don. I am one of the pastors here at the Axis. It's always uh, humbling and intention. It's an honor to stand before you and, and attempt to expound the biblical texts in some way. So this morning, uh, the text is actually from Lamentations, and yet my topic is joy. Uh, So you see that our kind pastor (laughs) allows a lot of leeway sometimes. (laughs) Um, So so thank you, Jeremy. Um, But it's going to be based on what we've been building on for three weeks uh, in this season of Advent, of waiting, of, of expecting his coming. And that is, as you can see on our our board there, it's wanting and waiting. And I was um, quite honestly overcome in week one when Derek's sermon, um, if you have not seen that, please watch it, um, powerfully asked the question, is it possible that our deepest needs, and he was speaking of love, and that is everything about identity that we walk around with, that our deepest needs can be met by one who is completely outside of ourself and our self-efforts. Can our deepest need be met through that? And he challenged us when he said, what we truly want in life is what we're waiting for. It is that one who can meet that greatest need. And week two, thank you, Daniel, I'm not sure if he's in the room, but Daniel built on that in the theme of peace and really walking us through the fact that we build or try to build peace all around us contextually, but there is no peace when we just stop and look around this world. Even what happened in the last 48 hours brought chaos and destruction, and we wrestle with that. And we should wrestle with that. And one reason I chose Lamentations for a topic of joy is that we might this morning ponder those two thoughts together. Joy and and chaos in the midst of it. And all the while, like we were singing, we, we wait. We wait for one. We long for something beyond what what we see, touch, taste, smell. So when we do that, I I say again, what we truly want in life is found in who we are waiting for. And there's great joy in that. So I'll I'll read our text. I'm going to skim through the first 16 uh, verses of Lamentations because we're going to focus on one particular part of it. But as I read this, it is the prophet speaking. And so it's a first-person narrative as he overlooks massive destruction. He begins this way. I am the man who has seen affliction because of the rod of his wrath. He has driven me and made me walk in deep darkness and not light. Surely against me he has turned his hand repeatedly all the day and caused my flesh and my skin to waste away, my bones to ache. He has besieged me and encompassed me with bitterness and hardship. And in dark places, he has made me dwell. I have become a laughingstock to all people in verse 14. He's filled me with bitterness. I have forgotten happiness. Remember my affliction and my wandering, the wormwood and the bitterness. Surely my soul remembers this. 
and is literally sunk down within me. In verse 21, but this I recall to mind. Therefore, I have hope. The Lord's loving kindness. Never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord, therefore, is my portion, my everything, my all, my inheritance, all I want to own. Therefore, I have hope in him. The Lord is good then to those who wait on him to the person who seeks him and it is therefore good that we wait silently for the salvation of the Lord this is the word of God thanks be to God and so we will come back there in a moment but I wanted to to look at where we've been which is uh resting on really as uh Psalm 23 1 the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want And I'm going to contend this morning and ponder with you just for a moment that this entire psalm, Psalm 23, is is set within a presence of joy that that cascades down on the psalmist in a way that that pushes him through life. And you're like, what? What is going on with that? Psalm 23, I hear red funerals, I hear, I mean, it's one of my favorite texts, and you're, you're telling me to ponder a joy beneath the surface that's not maybe even in here. I say that for, for good reason, that, that what we will see is that when we say that uh, incredible stance of trust, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, I shall not lack anything, that, that really is a, is a verse that echoes the Exodus wanderings. In other words, the writer here, David, who is a shepherd, understands the duties of a shepherd. It is to feed, lead, tend, and protect the sheep. And that's what God had done in the Exodus wandering, leading them out of Egypt, his people, for 40 years. And Deuteronomy 2, uh, verse 7, speaks it this way. The Lord has known your wanderings through the great wilderness. These 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you. You have not lacked anything. Same language as 23.1. Same Hebrew construct. And so if we, if we hear that echo from the past that, that the Lord was with them, we suddenly realize that the joy that's underlying the 23rd Psalm, the joy that propels us through the difficulties of this life, is presence. Not P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S. Presence. E-N-C-E. That God's presence is the joy that moves us into the valley of the shadow of death. Because contextually, brothers and sisters, that's where Psalm 23 is written. That we see that he says, I I shall not lack anything, and and we get this vision in verse 2 of of a perfected uh, abundance being given to us, but but really deeper, that's that's not the, the material things, is not what he's saying here. When he says, he makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me besides quiet waters. It is provision from the shepherd. 
It is provision that leads him in a place of plenty so that he doesn't fear scarcity. It's a green pasture set contextually in the wilderness. And he will not fear scarcity, nor will he have unjust competition because there's plenty for everybody. And in that motion where he says he leads me to quiet waters, it's an absence of enemies. In other words, the shepherd leads the sheep into a place where they can thrive, live, enjoy filled abundance. So the provision moves into a pathfinder when he restores my soul. He, he literally refreshes my soul. He guides me in the path of righteousness for his namesake. That pathfinder that the shepherd is leads him, leads him to where he doesn't feel lost in a very scary world. Even though I walk the walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. The presence of God underlying everything brings him resolute movement into the future with joy. He is protected then with the rod and the staff, the rod to fend off enemies, wolves, the staff to to bring the wandering back that had fallen and stumbled off the path. He, He brings them back with that. They comfort me. They bring me great joy in a a landscape that's full of jagged rocks and pits. You prepare a table in the presence of my enemies. We take joy and we often remove it from its context, thinking the only way we can be joy-filled is to have everything just the way we want it. That's not what the psalm says here. The psalm says, it's in the presence of my enemies, you prepare a table for me. It's, it's, it's amazing provision. But recognizing it's in a world that's full of dangers and hardships and toils. You anoint my head with oil. Again, we, we see that richness, but at the same time, it's, it's when the sheep would have stumbled and cut themselves or, or fallen and bruised themselves that, that, that the shepherd would take oil and anoint the hurt to heal it. It's the presence of the shepherd that brings this joy such that my cup overflows. And then we get this radical pursuit that surely goodness and loving kindness, the kessid of God, the, 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 the long-suffering love that has been covenantal throughout the text pursues them. And the word there literally means to radically pursue so as to overtake. If you're a fan of Westerns like I am, it is the posse that is after the bad guy and We will get our man. It is a posse that never stops. Goodness and mercy are constantly with you. When you wake up in the morning and you have a headache, it is with you. When you move and you spill your coffee on the table, goodness and mercy are with you. When you are late for work, when you're stuck in traffic, when you have lost, when you have had a tornado, when you have had a pandemic, when you have... The brutalness sometimes of, a, of an unwanted singleness. It is goodness and loving kindness pursuing you relentlessly. 
And that's all every day, if you'll notice in the text. All the days of my life, I'm headed toward an ultimate destination of a perfected presence of dwelling in the house of the Lord. It brings great joy again because it's the presence of God and the pursuing presence of God that never leaves us. Underlying, that's what we truly want. That's the joy that we're waiting for, longing for his return. And to shore that up, I, I thought, okay, what is biblical waiting? Biblical waiting is in the word kavah, one of my favorite Hebrew words, because it, it is not an idle stance of, oh, we're just going to wait here. Okay, this is awful. I'm just going to stand right here. I'll wait on something to happen that's better. No. Uh, it is a walk of faith. It is an active movement into the future that God is preparing. We, we see that word. It's, it, it's halak in the, in, the, in the Hebrew. It's peripateo in the, in the Greek. It is make your walk worthy. It, it, it is walk before me and be blameless in, in, in Genesis 17. It is that live life is what he's saying. A walk is a living of life moving in God's prepared direction. And when we wander, you will feel the crook of the shepherd's staff. That's a beautiful thing because he's following you with goodness and loving kindness. And so as we do this biblical waiting and move actively, it is, it is not that you're sidelined. There's nothing like a New Testament uh, metaphor of, of a race that we see everywhere. And nowhere better than Hebrews 12 too that we look to Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, endured the cross, despised the shame. Why? For the ultimate goal of being back with the Father, therefore seating himself at the right hand of the throne of God. He saw beyond this and kept moving in God's direction. That's biblical waiting. It is an active pursuit, an active movement with biblical faith that's being exercised. What is biblical faith? I wish I could give you my definition, but this uh, person I read named Elizabeth Ochtemeyer once said this. Biblical faith is always oriented to the future. Not here. It raises its gaze from the present suffering to look to the horizon from which glory is appearing. It is taking the immediate circumstances and viewing it with God's future squarely in our face. So it's the exercising of biblical faith. You are in the race. You're, you're an active participant. So know that you will pull a hamstring. You will turn an ankle. There will be trouble on the track. You are not a spectator. So keep pressing on toward his presence, which, by the way, is always with you. I think one of the things that we could make mostly understand, if we could, about the Advent sentence, uh, season is just a compound in the Hebrew. Immanuel. Emmanuel. If we could just understand, God with us, not just at Christmas morning, all the days of my life. And so the text that I chose today, Lamentations, speaks of a time where surely there's nothing but despair. And that's the way that the whole 
book, the five chapters, is really structured. Its name in the Hebrew, how, as in how could this happen? It's an eyewitness account by the prophet Jeremiah who is watching over the city as it's been destroyed, looted, brutalized. The people lay in anguish and many are being carted away into exile to Babylon. And the greatest verse is what we read in the core of chapter 3. That, that, that we understand it is in this movement toward God that, that he himself sees that he recalls to mind and therefore I have hope in the midst of that, that the, the Lord's loving kindness does never cease. But if you Google that verse, which I did, you will find it contextually set 99 times out of 100 on a beautiful landscape. Do you have that, Ashley? Like that right there. That's how we view joy. Ooh, everything's got to be calm. Everything's got to be placid. Ooh, little fog in the distance, sun rising. The truth of the context of that verse is this. Ashley, do you have that second slide of the city? The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. How can that be? How can that be when in chapter 1 the city is compared to a, to a daughter who's now been widowed, to a princess who has lost her crown, that, that she shares the suffering of her people? How, how, can, how can his mercies how, how can we, in chapter 2, understand, again, a woman's voice uh, crying out over the city of, of all her loss about things she sees in the city, including cannibalism, because the things were gotten so bad? How can we, as we hear in chapter 3, where the voice turns to a, a single male figure, the, the prophet, that this has been the Lord's doing and that he is a man of affliction, who has been crushed under the rod of his wrath. How do we move then to chapter 4 that, that, that opens with the stones of the temple being scattered and the, and the gold that it was adorned with actually being darkened by the fires? How do we move into chapter 5 where, where the prayer is is given to God, but, but earlier he said that God doesn't hear my prayers, but, but in faith he turns to God and he pours out exactly what has happened to everyone in the city. It is an honest conversation with the God who is present. That's how it happens. It is the God who is present, who, who Jeremiah then sees in these verses in chapter 3 from 21 to 26, set contextually in that setting, that he knows that the presence of God is still there when he gets past the lament. And it's great to lament. It doesn't take away the, the honesty before God. He, some of these words are incredible. They are like the Psalms of lament, but sometimes even more brutal. But for the joy set before him, he will keep moving, waiting on the Lord into the God's future. And so he raises his gaze from what he sees 
to a future that God has promised. That Jeremiah 29 says, yes, I know the plans for you. And we, we contextually take that one and set them in all sorts of pictures too. But the truth is you'll be in bondage for 70 years. Every adult here will probably be gone. The children would have made it back. Imagine. But I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you. So go live your life. I am with you in exile too. We, we too often separate, and it's called theodicy, where we wrestle with the suffering of the world. Oh, we must remove God from that. No, God is in the suffering. Read Isaiah 53, a man of sorrows, bruised for our iniquities. The Lord was pleased to crush him. He doesn't leave you in the suffering. He is with you. He suffers with you. He takes it all. And so Jeremiah gets this glimpse and sees it. And he uses the word loving kindness, mercies, and faithfulness, three Hebrew words. Guess where they come from? They come from Exodus 34, 6, where God is present with Moses in a tangible way and describes himself as this. It's right after the debacle of the calf incident. There would have been dead bodies in the landscape. But God says, I can't be with you. Moses says, no, we're not leaving unless you go with us because he knows the joy of being in the presence of God. And so God rescinds and says, yes, I will go with you. Then show me your glory, Lord. Show me your glory. And God says, I will. I will place you on the rock or in the rock. And I will pass by before you. And it says that the Lord descended in a cloud and walked before Moses walked before him in his presence and says, this is who I am. Loving kindness, mercy, and faithful. Faithfulness is so fleeting in our world. But not with your God. The presence of the Lord brings joy. The memory here of it. He takes a moment where he says, my soul is bowed down. The Hebrew word literally means depressed, sunk down. Depression in the ultimate form. He's there. He's at the bottom when he takes that emotion, which is only proper, correct? You can have that emotion, but he takes his cognitive reason, a gift from God. He takes his cognitive ability to stand on truth and speak what he knows of God, that he is present. He overcomes the emotion with a rational view to walk in the future. And he says, the Lord is good to those who wait. Those who wait walking through the landscape of the destruction on this planet. Now, the striking thing about Lamentations, when every time I read it, and this time I made a note that I would never forget it. I look for God's voice. If you're present and he brings your attributes from Exodus 34, 6 back, you've got to be present. And there's so much language in there of maybe him not being present and yet him doing it. There's a wrestling with this. He speaks one time. The Lord speaks one time in Lamentations. Verse 57 of chapter 3. You know how I'm going to remember that forever? 357. 
Lamentations 3, 57. And here's what he says. Jeremiah says, you drew near to me when I called on you. And you said to me, do not be afraid. What? Do not fear. Keep walking with the joy, knowing that as you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you will fear no evil, for you are with me. Silence disturbs us, and that's the only place that God isn't silent in the book of Lamentations. Yet He's very active, He's present, He's active. And when he does speak, he, he, he commends us not to be afraid, but to rely on, on the truth of who he is, the presence that he, that he is with you now. But many, many times, brothers and sisters, silence betrays itself in our heart that he is absent, that, that, that he's left us, abandoned us. Nothing, again, more striking than one of the, our favorite verses from Isaiah 40, 31. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength like eagles. I'd bet a hundred bucks if you Google that, it'll have an eagle on the poster. <laughs> they, will, they will renew their strengths like, like eagles. They will, they will run, not be tired. They will walk and not be weary. You know how that's contextually really said? I think it's verse 27. Why do you say, O Judah, and, and, and assert, O Israel, the Lord is not with me. He has not seen my ways. He doesn't take notice of me anymore because there's so much suffering that comes before that verse that they feel they are alone and abandoned. They feel that God is silent, but he's active. He's with them. And so, brothers and sisters, we stand on the shoulders of many Faithful people who have waited. If you read Hebrews 11, waited and never seen that promise fulfilled. Well, what is hope that they had? The, the hope that we have in God is that, one, he is present. But two, that hope is always projected into the future. That the promises he's made in the past have just yet to be experienced in the future. They will happen. I can tell you two weeks from tomorrow we will celebrate Christmas Day. That's my hope. It's going to happen. It's a certainty. It just hadn't happened yet. That's the hope here that we find in Lamentations 3. That's the joy that, that underlies all the, the wanting and the waiting so that when we are buffeted by this world and our wanting and waiting, when the silence is overwhelming, just remember this. Somewhere around the year zero, when a powerful empire tyrannically ruled the Mediterranean and used its minions like Herod to, to oppress the thousands of people into that darkness, as was read from Isaiah 9, a great light shone one night, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And the voice that broke the 400 years of silence spoke to the shepherds. Do not be afraid. 
For I bring you great news of greater joy that today in the city of David, a Savior is born for you. Yes, we can want and wait our knowing the fullness of what we truly need is found in the one we wait for. Let's close in prayer and prepare to take communion. Father, we thank you that in the wanting and waiting you are there and that ultimately at the end of this destination we will be with you forever. And so as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil, but rather be joyful as we rejoice in the Lord. Father, thank you for this glimpse of joy found only in you and in the name of Christ. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from the Axis Church in downtown Nashville. For more information, please visit theaxischurch.org.